Welcome to the Get Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Liz McGavro, and I'm obsessed with all things writing, creativity, and telling your stories in your authentic voice, because I believe a good story can change the world. Ever since I was a little girl with my nose in a book, I dreamed of being an author. I wanted to see my books in bookstores everywhere. I wanted to talk about books. I wanted to soak up everything about the craft. My celebrity crushes were mostly authors, and I could feel in my bones that the writer's life was my destiny. Fast forward to today. Along with my alter ego, Kate Conti, I'm an Agatha Award-nominated best-selling author with three mystery series, but it wasn't all smooth sailing along the way. I experienced many setbacks, crushing self-doubt, a lot of career detours, and I even lost my voice a few times when I let the world get in my way. Until I learned that writing was so much more than just a skill set you learned and developed over time. It's also an inside job that flourishes when you heal all the wounds that are stifling your creativity, which is no easy task. So if you're a writer of any kind, or if you've always wanted to write but aren't sure where to start, this is the place for you, my friend. We're going to talk about all things writing process, craft, strategies to help you get writing and stay writing, the daunting world of agents, editors, and publishing. And because I'm using my authentic voice, I'm going to throw in a little woo-woo for you too. So let's get writing, shall we? I'm your host, Liz McGavro, and I've got an incredible guest for you today. When it comes to overcoming adversity and excelling despite the circumstances life's dealt you, Tracy Garner is the person who comes to mind for me. She's a best-selling author of 18 books, a speaker, a writing coach, a course creator, and a fierce disability advocate who speaks from her own experience. As someone living with muscular dystrophy, Tracy spends her life encouraging others how to overcome their own personal barriers. She writes fiction and nonfiction depicting African-Americans triumphing over adversity and meeting success, whether that be in love or life pursuits. Tracy loves public speaking, teaching workshops, and talking about her craft at every opportunity. She's the creator of Garner Solutions LLC Coaching, and she works with new and aspiring writers through finishing their book and getting through the publishing process, and she's also helping people with disabilities reach their independent living goals. And she's also got a new book out called Author Life Fix. And I don't know about you, but anything that promises to fix me, I'm all in on. So we're definitely going to cover that too. So I was really honored to be able to bring Tracy to all of you this week, because no matter what you're facing in your life right now, you'll be inspired to keep pushing through and heading for that light on the other side once you're done listening to this episode. So I can't wait for you to hear our conversation. So let's jump in. Hey, Tracy, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Liz. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to have you. So why don't you tell listeners who you are, what you write, and all about you? Sure. 
Um, my name is Tracy Lydia Garner, and I write romantic suspense. That's where my first love and my heart is in. But I also do write some self-help and inspirational, and I have a book series for writers. I'm hoping to have five books. There's only one out right now. I'm working on the second one. The first one is called Author Life Fix, and that came out last year. And that's been fun, just channeling all my 20 plus years of writing into, um, just to help authors along, help them learn the process. But like I said, my heart is a romantic suspense. So definitely the romance, but also some car chases and fires and things blowing up in front of you, trying to kill you. It's always fun too. So I love, always um, fun. Yeah. I love the edge of your seat. I love a page turner for myself, even though I write it, I also love to read it. And, um, so yeah, I just, I just started writing when I was in college and I was failing, having a hard time. And, um, I saw a writing contest and it's a short version is I entered it and I won the grand prize and book publication and in advance. And, um, that just changed my life. So that's my story. I'm sticking to it. It's a good story. It's an exciting story. And, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. That is awesome. And so that was, that was the, um, BET books. Yes, BET Books, um, they are no longer in existence, but a lot of the same people are um, at another imprint um, under, I guess, the like Harlequin umbrella. Used to have uh, several different lines, including other African-American lines. Even though some of those have disbanded, it's still, book deals are still being given away. They were given away 20-something years ago when I was 20-something. and um, Or you can indie publish. That has certainly grown and become really exciting because you're really able to do what you want and have the freedom to publish what you want. And so, yeah, that, that BET books at the time, they had a line called arabesque and I, that's who ran the contest. And that's what I entered my, my novella at the time. It was a shorter book when way back when, when I won. Very cool. So how did that, so did, did they, did they work with you on editing the book and publishing it? Like how did that experience, you know, kind of lead you to the next level of your career? Yeah, it was an awesome experience. I mean, it really wouldn't say next level, but just the level, <laughs> entry level, um, you know, position of just learning the ins and outs of the publishing industry. I did a lot of work on my own because I really didn't want to fail. I felt a lot of pressure when I got my first book deal. Um, and that helped me get in the, my foot in the door. The contest deal helped me get in the foot, my foot in the door. And then I entered two more books and got a contract for those. So, just people, you know, being kind to me, some of the most uh, famous black authors, you know, really um, being kind then taking me under their wing, Rochelle Allers and um, other people that came to like my little celebratory luncheon that I had in New York when I went to the publishing house to meet the editors and stuff. So it was, it's a lot to learn. It was so much, but what I love about writers is they put so much on the internet to tell you what to do. And so it's just a wonderful community that I found. And I really needed that as a struggling college student, um, having a disability. I didn't mention that I do have a disability. I have muscular dystrophy and I do use a wheelchair. So just kind of the whole college experience was like, I don't know where I belong. I don't know where I fit in. I don't have a lot of friends. And then to find writing, which actually helped me, my grades improve when I won the contest, was just a major, and I still 
in touch with a lot of writers today. I mean, that community is just so rich and so giving is the most important thing. They really are giving a giving group of people. We'd love to share writers too. Yeah. Writers are awesome people. I always say like, you know, I'm, I'm in the mystery world and like, I just think they're, they're just the nicest people. I mean, you wouldn't think a bunch of people who sit around and figure out ways to murder people all day long would be so nice. (laughs) Right. But we really are. We really are. We just have a wicked imagination. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So you're also, you also teach. I do. I do. I taught at community college for almost 15 years. What happened with that was like another writing class. I went to a screenwriting class and only because my teacher who I'm still, we're still friendly today. I don't see him much. He was so nice. And I did not like um, the fact that he didn't have any handouts. (laughs) (laughs) PowerPoint and and I was like, I can't get in this class. I only, by the way, in screenwriting class, I wrote exactly one and a half pages. And when you think about how much white space is in, um, you know, a screenwriting class, I might as well have written a paragraph. But I was already <laughs> published then, and I um, had a couple books out. And when he was teaching, he was just so nice and friendly and, and encouraging. Even though I had my one and a half page, you know, um, thing where everybody else was doing like 15 and 20 pages in like a four-week course, I was like, this is impossible. But he was so nice and he was so encouraging. I asked him to, I said, I want to do what you're doing. I want to teach others how to write. And I write novels. And I've been again to tell him a little bit about, you know, me and what I did. And he put in a good word for me with the dean and the provost who were over the uh, continuing education um, and workforce development. So it's like the adult side. It wasn't the curriculum and the academics where people were in four-year and two-year college degree programs. It was um, that continuing like pottery, you know, writing, mm-hmm playwriting. It was what he was teaching the script writing class. And I taught that after he put in a good word, I submitted a proposal and taught that for like 15 years. It was just one little six week course every Tuesday night from um, seven to like nine o'clock. And I just loved, I had 25 students almost come out of that class to go on and uh, publish their book. So I had 25 published students. And, um, and when that was ending, people were sad and they lamented the fact that we don't have accountability. We don't meet every week. And I was just like, aha, I have to take it online and I have to do book coaching. And so that's really what that was born out of. It's just people were so sad that the six week course was ending. I'm actually going to pitch that class again because they did get rid of a lot of the leisurely courses. And so for a time they went away and just did cover government contracting courses and all the IT and all that stuff. But I feel like people are returning and they want to return to going live, going to a school. And all my classes were always small. I always had like eight to 10 people and that was more than enough. And at the end of that six weeks, um, we always had like a little intimate pizza party, you know, and really had fun. And so I just love that little community that I had built all because I, you know, picked at my teacher who didn't have any handouts and yeah. was annoyed. And so he was just really kind. His name is Chris Baxter. He's an actual screenwriting um, type of guy and has had some movies published. So uh, filmed, I guess. But um, but yeah, so that's where that teaching side came out of. That's very cool that you have, you've had so many students getting published from Mm -hmm. your team. That's very cool. I really do think, so, you know, I've been getting into, um, 
online courses and I have a membership for writers. And, you know, when I first started the membership, I was kind of thinking it was going to be more about like helping people through the actual process of writing and, you know, things like that. But when, you know, my, the group that I have, it's, it's still a small group. Uh, it's my founding member group, which is lovely, but the feedback that I get constantly and, you know, it's making me like rethink when I take this back out to, to relaunch it, it's all about the community. It is. And having accountability to show up and to get some work done. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's really what it is. And the encouragement, you know, community in a community, in your own family relationships. It's all about just being validated, being cared for and being like nurtured and encouraged. And that's what people really are seeking, you know, whether they're really good or whether they don't think they're good or whether the writing's just not there yet just the encouragement to keep going and to stick with it and to have a group of people to check in with is so important. Um, I do writing sprints with just one other person. It's just her and me just egging each other on after our 25 minute sprint. You know, we do share numbers sometimes and that just motivates you like, okay, you got 800 in this 25 minute sprint. I'm going to get to 1200, Yeah. you know, and you just keep kind of best, but it's a friendly thing. It's not a competition. It's not like, oh my God, you're always writing so fast, you know, and me, like I'm always thinking I'm writing fast because I'm using dictation. And a lot of people don't realize that when people yeah. send you long book length texts, they are using dictation and you just don't know it. Um, you know, so just using that is like a little cheap, cheap, a little, you know, shortcut to, um, to getting the words out and onto the page. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. Like we do the 25 minute sprints too in the membership. We get together a bunch of times every week and we do, um, we do a little bit of group coaching. We do, um, two, you know, at least, at least one sprint, depending on how much we have to talk about, but usually two. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone's always like, the first thing they say is, oh my God, that went by so fast. And I can't believe how much you can get done in 25 minutes. That's right. That's right. You cannot, when you're focused, um, you know, I actually hide my little clock. I put the clock up on zoom for everybody, but then I hide it for myself because you just want to get in the zone and it's just the energy, even though we're all not even together there. I'm telling you, if there was like some kind of, um, tension meter, I think there would be like a zing, a line of zings going between writers. I just think that there's like a, an aura or phenomenon, um, and like a, a link of energy that comes about because, um, you know, we just, because we're creative, we just get that. We just, we just feel it. And we're egged on, I think, by the energy and the ideas that are coming forward. It's just, you know, it's really kind of like, um, almost like, I don't know, people that are into crystals and things like that. I'm not really into that, but I can see how that could be. You're channeling the energy to motivate yourself. I'm very much into crystals. I'm just looking at the millions of them that are sitting oh, on my cool. desk right mm-hmm. now as we're, as we're talking. So every, um, at the beginning of every, you'll probably laugh at me, but at the beginning of every, uh, membership session, we pull like an Oracle card or a tarot card and mm-hmm. we usually talk about crystals and mm-hmm. <laughs> we're very woo woo. Yes, <laughs> so. definitely. Definitely. I can see I that it. happening. All right. So you write a lot of different things. Um, so what, what is your favorite thing to write? Is it so romantic suspense? It totally is. It is the new, like, cusp. I would say, like, the cusp of a new day, but the cusp on the cusp or on the horizon of a new relationship, of just, you know, falling in love 
or realizing, because I'm working on a couple now that have been off again, on again for like nine years. And it's just like, wow, this is a long time. Are you, what are you guys doing? <laughs> but just the, re- the realization of really loving someone I think is a beautiful thing. And I love having people eventually find that out and find a little bit of themselves. And also it's just so fresh. It's just so pure to me and innocent at first. And um, you just want the absolute best for the other person. I mean, that's the ideal relationship. And even though it doesn't always exist in real life, you still see parts of it and it still can happen. Everybody remembers their first love. Um, And if it was reciprocated, you know, hey, lucky you. Um, So I just think that's a beautiful thing. And we should just um, everybody should get to experience it at one time. And even if you don't, you know, you can escape um, in the worlds that authors create and it can make you feel better. It's part medicinal for me living vicariously through my characters. It's part mental health solution. So yeah, just seeing people come together and two people that really love each other just really gets me just warm and fuzzy. Yeah. I love that. And are your, your current books are all your books self-published that you're doing right now? 17 of them. I am mostly self-publishing. Yes. And I'm also working full time. So that's one reason that I do self-publish. But the other reason is just that because I don't have to wait for anybody to tell me I'm good enough. Um, And I do think about, you know, I don't want to deter anybody. Both avenues are wonderful. It was wonderful when I had a traditional book deal, when I could just write and they could just do everything else. But, you know, with my disability, with the things that I have to go through, I always felt a sense of urgency. And I feel it even more now that I'm in my mid forties. Like I don't feel like I have time. If I were to get a book deal today, my book is still not coming out till 2025 or even 20, the beginning of 2026. And so that just seems, and I think people underestimate how deflated you can feel in the weight. It's really hard to ramp up. You get the best news of your life that you are going to get a book deal. And that is wonderful. But then in waiting, you know, kind of what do you do? How do you get prepared? And then by the time it really comes, sometimes it can be almost anticlimactic. And I would never say that it's, it's your book. It's wonderful. Have yourself a big party, um, invite people like I did for one of my books, one of my self-published books, but There's something about, you know, taking control of the reins and having the freedom to do whatever you want. Change the covers. You find a typo, fix it, put it back up, take it down, put it back up, you know, um, and you have to have an entrepreneurial spirit. That's the other thing I want to say is self-publishing is really not that you can't learn. You can learn to be an entrepreneur, but you kind of have to have that drive in you and have a little bit of, you want to wear all the hats. And if you don't, that's okay too. It's important for you to know what type of personality you have so that you can go ahead and go for the book deal and not waste time on self-publishing. So, um, but that rejection is hard. If you get a lot of rejections, you know, it's, it can be, get very dark and very discouraging. So I think people should just know who they are. Um, I get letters from people, people really don't care which method or which vehicle the book came through. They're just looking for a good book. At the end of the day, it doesn't even matter. And we're finally getting to a point where self-publishing can be looked at that way when it wasn't. It was so frowned upon, you know, what, 10 years ago, maybe even seven years ago. And my first self-published book bombed. 
like I had the wrong cover. I had an illustrated cover and then people thought it was a children's book. And it's like, is this for children? They would come by my table and I'd be like, oh my God, this is so messed <laughs> up. I messed up. What a... So, you know, you have to do some testing. You have to be able to take that. Um, and you have to realize that, you know, you're going to make mistakes, but you, yeah. you always, but with self-publishing, you don't make it, you know, with, with, um, getting a book deal, if you don't make it, you're kind of like done. They're not giving you another deal. You know, they'll be like, okay, uh, these two book deals didn't work out. So, uh, sayonara. So, um, you just have to develop a tough skin and really know what you're doing. And you're in a trial and error. You're going to waste some money yeah. and that's okay. You waste money every day drinking yeah. Starbucks and, you know, peeing it out, you know, it just, it happens. It was good while it lasted. Um, you know, so that's, that, that could be a waste too, to some people, but some people really need it. So it just depends. Yeah. No, I mean, there's so many things in both of them or in both, um, avenues that, you know, can be positives, can be negatives. It's, it's really just the way you're, like you said, it's what you, what makes you feel good about what you're doing and, right. and what you can handle. Mm -hmm. Um, when I started, you know, 12 years ago, you're right. That was that self-publishing was not looked upon favorably. I've talked about this a few times on my, on this podcast with some other authors who mm -hmm. I know who are self-published. Um, it was just not a thing back then. It was very frowned upon. And so there was all this pressure to get a, you know, traditional deal and right. what does that look like? And yeah, the industry's changed so much. And I think it's, it's good because so many people, you know, don't have the same barrier for entry that, that they That's used right. to have. Yeah. And the, and the publishing industry has changed, but then they kind of have it. No, it hasn't. Traditional you know? publishing has not changed. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, That's what I mean. So I'm hoping, paper, you know, and people that say, yes, you're worthy or black people don't read and all this kind of stuff like that is so not true yet. They continue to perpetuate those memes yeah. And that's terrible, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of things about traditional publishing that needs to change. And I think, you know, a, a lot of the um, self-publishing that we're seeing and, you know, the different methods, even the hybrid publishing, um, mm -hmm. hopefully will, you know, start to turn the tides because it's yes. definitely time. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. It's, um, it's kind of wild. Mm -hmm. So tell me about your um, author life fix. Yes. Author Life Fix is a book that I created because I didn't have a book that would help me evaluate my career. This was, um, I've been having this idea forever, but I would say about three or four years ago when I was on book 15, you know, I've written 20. I hope I'm working on 21, 22 and 23 this year. Um, and hoping to have two of those come out, but around book 15, I was like, wow, I'm still here, you know, <laughs> writing these books. Like I can't believe it. I haven't uploaded and I haven't lost, um, you know, my desire to write. And I would go looking for like, how do you do an audit? How do you look at your career and see where you are, see where you want to be and see if you're on the right trajectory for the course that you want to create um, for your author life. And so I cover 15 different topics from your space during the pandemic. I renovated my office. I got an alpha shelf. I got like hardwood laminate, which is the faux um, hardwood. I love it. Um, you know, I just suffered in my office with this hole in my carpet, you know, just like, why am I keeping this, you know, and just really started figuring out the cost um, of what it would be to kind of renovate it. I painted it all white. It was yellow. I love it. It looks like it's called heavy cream, you know, so first was your space as the foundation. Do you 
need a chair? Do you need a headrest? Do you need a feet rest? Are you sitting ergonomically correct? Do you need to go to the chiropractor? Do you need earbuds? Um, so you don't have to hear your mother loudly talking to her friends and the TV playing at the same time. Um, you know, so do you, what can you do to really create a place that you are excited about? So your space technology, um, mental health, health and wellness, and um, just 15 different topics that I just talk a little bit about. And here's how I address them. And they're really after, you know, writing the book, I was like, wow, this really is kind of like a life fix. Mm -hmm. You know, all of this, you know, plays into your ability to create your space, if you're not inspired or if you're relegated to some dark, dusty, you know, gum on the bottom, um, beanbag chair that you're, you know, you're going to get curvature of the spine. How can you be inspired in a place like that? You really want to have a good space. Like this is where I make a living, you know, it might not make that much, but it makes something. And maybe if I were a little bit more inspired, I could make more, I could type faster. So, um, I talk about efficiency. Do you need to use dictate dictation? You know, do you need to even learn the keys as far as tech goes? You know, some people hunt and peck and that's fine. But when you get tired of that or your fingers hurt, you don't want to write. If you have frustration with the technology you're using, you're using Word or you're using Scrivener and every now and then it eats your entire work and, you know, like kills it, you don't want to write. So I just thought about every aspect of my author life that I could go through maybe once a quarter. I would go through it and I would say, how is it going? And at the back of each chapter is like a list of things you should address in that chapter. I even talk about estate planning. You know, mm-hmm. you secured your intellectual property. Um, I talk about income streams. You know, I wanted to get to seven income streams at one time. I Now I've realized that's too much and I will die. I want to get down to five. You know, <laughs> I have an Etsy shop. You know, it's really evaluating what kind of things do you want to do. If you want to be a full-time writer, you know, the writing is great, but what else are you going to be doing? I'm teaching. I'm doing... Um, I have an Etsy store where I do printables and things that I've created on Canva, like journals and beautiful notebooks and stuff like that. Um, speaking, teaching workshops, obviously the community college writing course. Um, and then, you know, just what else do you want to do? And then how are you doing your expenses correctly? Are you writing everything off that you possibly can? Are you making sure that latte at that romance writers conference goes on a bill somewhere and can be written off? You know, so I just wanted someone to say, I'm going to take a 360 aerial view of your career. I'm going to help you find what's not working and fix it. That's really all the book is. Hi, this is Julian, the producer for the Get Writing podcast. Zencaster is an extremely important part of our workflow on this show. Podcasting has you working with a wide range of people who all have different computer and office setups, different levels of comfort with technology, and different levels of time and patience. Zencaster takes this big logistical headache and makes it utterly trivial. No more grappling with recording software, waiting for files to be delivered, losing files, none of that. Log in using your browser and start recording a high-quality podcast right away. Record studio-quality sound and up to 4K video with your guests. Feel a sense of zen knowing Zencaster's multi-layered backups ensure you always have your recordings in the highest quality, even if the connection is unstable. If you've ever thought about podcasting and thought that you need a lot of different tools and services, those days are over. 
Zencaster is an all-in-one podcasting platform. You can create your show all in one place and then distribute it to Spotify, Apple, and all the other major destinations. Go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use our code writing, and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experience as we do for all of our podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. I love that. That is so smart because honestly, you know, when I, when I started out too, again, like 12 years ago, I had no clue. Right. I mean, I was doing my, my writing off the side of my desk. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a full-time job and you know, I didn't think about any of this stuff. No one, no one helped me think about any of this stuff. So I'm just like, all right, well, I have a contract, I have a deadline, I have to write the book. And then at some point I'll get, you know, some kind of payment, royalty payment. I have no idea how to, I, to this day, I still don't really know how to read those things. I know. Me Find your husband or get, get a mathematician type person. <laughs> To who's good at numbers. That's what I do. I just ask, like, can you help me read this? Or sometimes ask other successful authors ahead of you. And I'm sorry, keep going. Yeah, no, no, no. That's really what I do. There's a, um, one of my blog mates on the Wicked Authors blog. She's, she's, I think probably the only one of us that actually really can dig in and figure everything out. So we're always asking her like, Hey, can you help me read this thing? But it's wild. But yeah, like I, you know, it took me all this time as I'm now kind of transitioning into more of a writing focused business of, Mm -hmm. you know, my own work, my writing, but also like courses and things like that to really start thinking through what that looks like in its totality versus like I'm writing a book when I have time Mm -hmm. as long as I can make this deadline. So I love that. I think that's really smart. Yeah. And you have to really decide, you know, is this a hobby? If it's a hobby, then don't care. You spend all the money you want. Don't worry about recouping anything or return on your investment. But at book 15, I was like, this is not a hobby. I'm here for the long haul. I want to be here. I want to do good. I want to at least if I, even if I wasn't breaking even at that time, I want to break even. I want the books to pay for themselves. You know, I want it to pay for the editor. And so just really getting organized is really what it's all about, but in 15 different areas. And I hope to update it. I hope to have in a second edition um, because I also did a course. I did a five-day challenge for Author Life Fix where I just ran over three things at a time, you know, your space, your technology, your writing efficiency. And then the next night was like, uh, you know, health and wellness, income streams. And then the last night was like estate planning, um, you know, and, and taxes and, and stuff like that. So I'm just touching on it, but it's important to think about because it just, when you really take time to do an assessment, the whole point is to become more successful at what you're doing. Stop wasting time, stop wasting money and energy to really make this like a well-oiled, you know, engine that runs really smoothly. Yeah. And I love that you incorporated health and wellness Um, items in it as well, because we don't think about, I mean, you know, the days when I would be working 12 hour days in my last corporate job and then trying to write, you know, after that I'm sitting, I'm sitting in the same spot at this desk, like hunched over this computer. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I don't even know how I'm not permanently hunched over, Um, but we don't think about things like that. You know, we're just like, gotta get it done. Gotta get it done. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's good to have Mm -hmm. a reminder. 
Yep. And that's where the Sandy desk came in, which can also be a tax write-off. Yeah. You know, I can't stand, but you know, other people who can get that and can stand for a little bit just to keep that sedentary lifestyle. It's very sedentary. It's very isolating. Yeah. Um, there's a chapter in the book on inspiration. You know, how do you become inspired to write? I watch so much content on YouTube. I'm always listening to writers. I listen to all the podcasts, um, including Get Writing Podcasts and just, you know, getting a feed of, and then it's like defining what inspires you because everybody's different, you know? And so you just have to, what what are you, and when do you take breaks? What do you do? You can't write all the time. You, you probably can, but should you? You have to have a break. You have to do something else, you know, just to kind of break it up and to make sure that you're not just stuck and that's all you do. You know, there's just no fun, no relaxation, no brain break in just writing all the time. Yeah. So that's kind of a good segue because I wanted to ask you how you, how do you structure your days? Cause you, you did say that you, that you are still working a full-time job mm-hmm. and you've got your other income streams. So what is your, what does your day look like as far as your writing goes? Yeah, mostly nights and weekends. Um, yeah. every now and then I will pull out my phone, even when I'm working, if I take a 30 minute break or I go out and chat with, um, you know, one of my family members, you know, I just make sure that it's like 30 minutes here, 20 minutes there go watch like the first 10 minutes of the young of the restless, which is like mindless entertainment, which is so redundant. Um, same relationships going over and over again, but that's fun. (laughs) And that kind of gives your brain a little break. So I'll manage to get maybe an hour uh, or two hours of writing during my work day, but most of the writing happens on the nights and weekends. But then, um, as it gets warmer, like from, I had an event yesterday, which I rarely do events in February and January because I don't like the cold. But yesterday I did a black history month event and it had a great turnout. I was so surprised. Um, it was a beautiful sunny day. It was still around 47 here in Virginia, but, um, you know, people really came out and that just showed me, and I was glad I went and I'm glad I signed up, but I really don't really do a lot of, uh, Saturday's book signings until March through about November. Mm-hmm. So when it starts to get cold, I'm like a bear and I have to go hibernate. Yeah. And that's actually when I get a lot of my stories done too. I, um, did nano last year, which is national novel writing month. And I couldn't believe it. I wrote 53,000 words in 13 days, Wow, which I have never done. Um, on my Instagram, I share some tips about why I think I was able to write so much, but, um, I just think it just, it just depends. A lot of my writing happens in the winter months when I'm locked in and got my heater on and it's 90 degrees. So nobody will come in my room cause they'll all melt. But, um, <laughs> you know, I just, I just love it. And that's when I really get the bulk of my writing done. And then the summer and spring is for going out and promoting the writing that I did, uh, during those, you know, three to four winter months. That's amazing. So how many books a year do you usually do like two to three? I really only do usually one, but I have done two. And honestly, I had a goal one time years ago to try to release two books in a year. And I just was like, I was, after I released the second one, I just had zero energy to promote it. Mm -hmm. And so I just decided that's not for me. It would be nice to release a couple books per year, but you got to have the energy to go with that. 
Yeah. You know, it was so much to have that one book promoted, promoted, promoted. And then in the fall, I would have another book. And then I was just like, you know what? This year is done. Like yeah. I'm stopping promotion around about November because that's my rhythm. So I probably wouldn't, you know, do that anymore. I just, you know, stop the book and just have it come out um, yeah. the very next year. And and that's another thing you have to be okay with yourself about. There's, you know, lots of books on the rapid release, writing really fast. Yes, I could do that right out eight hours a day if that was all I was doing, mm. you know, but I'm, that's not all I'm doing. So, um, so that's okay. That rhythm and that pace is totally okay for me. So around about every 12 to 18 months, that's fine. I, I have no problem with the one, one release and maybe a short book, you know, every now and then I did the one time I did the two books, it was one novel and it was one, like it was called pack light thoughts for the journey. And it was just a little anecdotal advice book with journal prompts after, after the end of each chapter I love so that. published, it only was about a hundred and 120 pages. And then the back was mostly lines. So people could um, journal their thoughts and the things that came out of the story that I told and then the questions that I asked and then just them journaling. So that was an easy book. I wrote that in like six months, but most of my books take me a lot longer um, to do. Yeah. That's awesome. So you are also a huge advocate for people with disabilities. Um, and so can you talk to me about like some of the work that you do there and also like what you hope to see as far as the publishing world goes um, and, you know, how any misconceptions that you that you've seen or anything that you that you're hoping to change or to see changed? The writing world has been awesome as far as, you know, getting now it is, you know, in the last two years. Um seeing more diverse characters with disabilities and also especially love um, between uh, people with disabilities and, you know, people that are non-disabled. And I really like that. What I don't see, I don't see a lot of other people that have, that use wheelchairs, walkers, canes. I know one or two, you know, blind writers. Um, There's um, Alice Eeks, who's blind and who's written probably about 20 books. And she also features blind characters. But as far as when I go to conferences and things, I try to just be out there and encourage people. And I do meet people with disabilities. They have ADHD, you know, autism and other things like that. But as far as the physical disabilities go, I still feel we are, um, you know, shut out. Um, And even I would say in my own circles, I don't always feel as welcomed to participate in like the pajama parties that big time authors are having. Or, um, you know, we talk about filling all these quotas and welcoming diversity. And in some of my own circles, that is not always translating. That is not always happening. It's happening on the page for the characters. And that's and everybody's excited. And it's like, oh, yes, we have to have that. But then as far as bringing people with actual disabilities to the table and inviting them to write those things, that is not translating as well to me. And maybe I'm not looking in the right places, but I've been doing this for 23 years and I just don't feel the same welcome mat being rolled out um, for some, you know, groups of disabilities. So I am an advocate. I've been an advocate since I was, since I could talk. Um, my mom says I started talking before I was two years old and I never shut up. <laughs> I swear she's giving me a compliment really, but, um, 
you know, just bringing attention, especially locally. I have been a national speaker. I've been on the national circuit, but I've found that my job is to work right here in my own area. Advocating for increased transportation options is a big deal because I had a really hard time getting my hand controls approved for my own van. So when my van breaks down and I can't drive it, you know, I can't just hop in a car and go somewhere with any random person. They have to have a lift. And so I advocate things on a much smaller scale. I'm always at the board of supervisors, meaning I used to be pre-pandemic. You know, just going out, I've always been quoted in the paper. um, And I just try to hammer people and hammer home the need for increased options for people with disabilities. But that's just in my own, I'm not discounting that it's in my own area, but that's where I think that I've been placed to, you know, talk about that stuff, talk about access to healthcare, talk about the employment rate. You know, the, the pandemic did a couple of good things in that it stripped supervisors. I've been denied to work from home before the pandemic, you know, just because, person's power trip and just deny you. Like I told them, like my wheelchair is kind of broken. I can't really get around without it. You know, I'm going to work from home if that's okay. And they'd be like, what can you do from home? And sadly after the pandemic, Oh, I guess everybody can work from home. Yeah. So we are still up against some of those stigmas, some of those people that wield their power, you know, like it's their own personal tool to deny other people things. And, you know, that's unfortunate. And now everybody's working from home. It's not a big deal. We're getting so much more done. I was getting more done pre-pandemic if I was permitted to work home just because it was more comfortable. Yeah. Think about the logistics of getting to the job, relying on someone else. The transportation is not that good. I'm going to be late. There are elements that I have to go through, rain, sleet, snow, heat, you know, waiting for people. Um, And then if you don't come out right away, then they leave, you know, so I've had transportation has really been my um, thing. And I'm trying to work now on um, transportation as far as flying, because Mm -hmm. we are still not permitted to take our wheelchairs on the plane. And I don't fly anymore. I haven't flown since 2015. I went to a romance writers conference in Texas and I just had the worst experience. They break our wheelchairs. People don't know that our wheelchairs cost like thousands of dollars. I'm not talking $5,000. I'm talking like 20 and 13. Um, my last wheelchair costs like $34,000. I mean, that is a car, yeah. you know? And so to have that busted up and broken up, um, there's a famous video from TikTok of the wheelchair, like flying down the ramp and like tipping over. You have oh, to, geez. you have to Google it, but, um, and nobody stops it. Nobody does it. They just watch it go by and fall off the ramp and like crash. And so that's expensive. And yes, I agree. Airlines will pay for it. Meanwhile, it's going to take six months to a year of negotiating with them. And I can't leave the airport because I have a busted up chair. So, you know, I'm working. Transportation has always been like the bane of my existence. It's always been a hard fight. And now I want, I feel like we have so much technology. We're such an advanced country. You mean to tell me we can't figure out how to get people in their chairs on a plane? Like, I think this is the most ridiculous thing. You know, we're taking people to space. I could probably Mm -hmm. get access on Elon Musk's spaceship easier than I could, you know, getting to California, which I love. I used to, I've been there twice and I just, it's so progressive. It's so accessible, but 
you know, that is one thing that also is hampering me as an author. I mean, I really lament not being able to go to 20 books to Vegas, you know, in Las Vegas or some other big conference like that is a missed opportunity. And that's also a painful missed opportunity that I don't get to participate in. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it deprives you of other aspects of community. Like we were talking about before Mm -hmm. that, that's and sales. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. For sure. Yeah, you know. So have you seen any advancements in any of these areas or is it something that you still feel like? Certainly in some areas. Yes, we have all the access, especially living so close to the nation's capital in DC. Um, I think all the government and things makes it a much more progressive area to live in. Um, California is great. They had one of the first um, centers for independent living. Thanks to the work being done out there. They really are also a model for the transit system, for the trains and Mm -hmm. just being able to get around on any mode that comes by. It is all accessible and it's pretty accessible here the closer you live to the city. Um, I live in the suburbs and it's so-so as far as public transit. But of course, there's always advances. There's advances every year. I do know that a bill for the... um, for the airline industry is coming up soon. Um, I was thinking about, you know, it's be such a good PR move for them too, just to have, they could have all the cameras there that they want, especially some of the airlines that are like, have the worst customer service, right? Sometimes <laughs> United or JetBlue yeah. or, you know, it's like, you can really redeem yourself if you give a, a, a wheelchair girl a ride. Okay. Yeah. Really like <laughs> fix your whole life. If you just let some of us on there, I mean, it would just, it would just change so much for us. I'd be able to go even, and not even about the writing, but just to see family members, you know, that I don't see, um, often because they may be disabled. I'm disabled, you know, just those connections, like you said, community, but just living a quality of life, you know, to be able to go somewhere and stay there. I'm even willing to pay extra. If you let me on a plane, you can charge me a whole hundred dollars extra. I realize not everybody is going to be able to pay that, but I will take the sacrifice for the first year and then they'll see how wonderful it is. And then they'll start lowering those prices, just like a big screen TV, you know, like they're all cheap now. So it it can happen. I really hope it happens in my lifetime. Um, But that is just the one thing that has been so hard about being an author and wanting to travel far and wide and just not, you know, being able to because of, of the barriers that still exist. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you tell someone who is struggling with their own disability? Maybe they want to be, you know, a writer as well. Um, what kind of motivation would you give them to keep pursuing that dream? I would tell them, you know, your voice is so important and it's so needed. Um, you know, we need diverse voices, which is actually an organization, but, um, we just need everybody. We need everybody to contribute. The more that our stories are out there, the more people can learn and the more, sometimes they can see the error of their ways in their thinking, their attitudinal barriers. And plus, you know, writing a book is as much for you as it is for other people. I really believe it's for you because you, you take something, you own it, you finish it 
you know, you really take the time with it and then you let the world enjoy it too. And so that's why there's just, it's such a great feeling. It will motivate you. You know, when I won the contest, when I was 20 something failing school, I even got rejected by this guy, you know, that I I left that part out, but I put him in my book and I made him such a wonderful person. And I remember always telling that to people, my mentor friend put her guy who rejected her in a book and killed him off. (laughs) See, that's probably what I would do. (laughs) Actually, maybe I have done that. There's always some element of that. We always kill the people. I mostly kill bosses and supervisors that aren't aren't willing to uh, be nice to me. But um, but yeah. So I think that I was just telling them, you know, you deserve to be heard. You have to keep trying. Don't give up. And it's just such a wonderful reward to hear from people. Hear from people say, "I love your book. I love these characters." That will give you even more encouragement more motivation and really inspire you. I keep every single thing that I get from somebody, I print it out and I keep it in like an inspiration file. So yes, it's important for you to write it, to finish it, but it's important for your voice to be heard. And it's important for you to get validation and encouragement from others through reading your work. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Everything you said. And I agree. I mean, we need we need so many new voices in the literary community and you know the more that people are writing and talking about different things that you know other people just might have no clue about it's the only way we're going to see change in the world right because i believe the written word and artists have so much power in that way Mm -hmm. to change the world definitely definitely and my dog agrees because she's being (laughs) very very loud (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm probably not going to be able to edit that out. <laughs> but <laughs> on that note, Tracy, tell everyone where people can find you, find out more about you, buy your books. Sure. People can find out about me at my website, tracygarner.com. I'd love to hear from people. Tell me a message. Send me an encouraging note. Did you you know, enjoy this episode? And I would love to help people with their writing. Um, if they need a book coach or they need support, and just a little pep talk, they can reach out to me at tracygarner.com. I'm on Instagram. I have some videos on YouTube too about writing and working with editors and a couple of different topics. And I'm on Facebook, but I love Instagram the most. I sporadically put up videos on YouTube. I keep trying every year. I'm going to do it. But um, tracygarner.com is the best way. And you can use the contact page on that website. Awesome. And we'll link to you in the show notes and all that good stuff too. Thank you so much for being here. This was so great. I loved meeting you. I loved hearing all about your work and I can't wait for people to buy your books. Thank you so much, Liz. It was great. All right, friends. What did you think of that? There were so many takeaways for me, but I particularly loved what Tracy said about community and how it's about being with people with whom you feel validated and cared for and encouraged by. That really is what a community is supposed to be. And that's why I talk about having one so much on the show and with other writers, because I just think it's so important as a writer that you find your people. Um, And if you need help doing that, send me a DM or an email. I'd love to talk to you. Community is one of the things I feel most passionately about, and I would love to help you find yours. I'd also love to hear what your takeaway is from this episode. So send me a note on Instagram or send me a message through my website, kateconti.com. And if you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast if you enjoyed it, I would be so grateful. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.